This is Nightwatch, reporting from New York, Travis Marshall. Tonight, more on the news that has rocked Manhattan, if not the world. We do have some very sad news to discuss first. Nichelle Nichols, an icon in television and the voice of Diane Mazan Gargoyles, has passed away. And when I say icon... I'm not saying this lightly. She was Lieutenant Uhura on the original Star Trek. Martin Luther King Jr. himself asked her to stay on the show when she was thinking of leaving because she thought what she was doing was very important. And she broke barriers, such as the first interracial kiss on television, which was sadly blacked out in some parts of the country. Yeah, that's hard to believe. I remember when that episode aired, I was in college, and, and uh, I mean, I thought it was a big deal, but not as big as it turned out to be, obviously. But, but I don't think it great. actually, it was one of the first, I don't think it was literally the first interracial kiss, and I, are you sure it actually, I know they were afraid it would be blacked out, but are you sure it was blacked out in some places? I had heard many times that it was. It, yeah, that feels like, um, I could be wrong. But my uh, reading seems to suggest that there's a lot of fear that it would be and that it wasn't actually. But uh, not that everyone was happy about it, but uh, I'm not sure. In other words, the facts are great enough. I don't know that we need to embellish them um, too much. Uh, but Michelle was amazing. I mean, she was, uh, I think you're right, she was absolutely iconic, but it's easy to forget that she was also an, an incredibly talented actress. And then beyond that, uh, also just the sweetest, nicest human being um, you'd ever want to meet. Uh, she once had uh, Vic Cook and I over to her house for for lunch or maybe tea. I'm trying to remember now, but uh, um, it she was just a, a, a wonderful, lovely human being on top of being just an incredibly talented actor, singer, dancer. Um, she was just great. And as Diane, obviously Zuhura, that goes without saying, but as Diane Maza, um, I just feel we got so lucky to have her on the show. You're here. I remember first watch through how pleased I was that she was, you know, because, you know, I was a Star Trek fan as well. So uh, we had all these Star Trek actor, actors already, and then to hear her voice was, was just a thrill. And she did an amazing job. Yeah. yeah, for us as well. And then, you know, she was so good that we just kept giving her more to do. I mean, we'll talk about it down the road, but, uh, you know, uh, Mark of the Panther, which is an episode that from the season that we'll get to uh, eventually, she has this whole story that she tells, and it's just so lovely to listen to her. She was also a guest at the 2003 gathering of the Gargoyles Convention. We didn't originally plan or ever think that we could get her, but we found out she was attending another convention that was in town, and we invited her over to come join us for our banquet Q&A, and she was a very gracious guest, very lovely, and as I recall, though, I did not sit at her table. I I sat at your table, Greg, and I remember saying at the time, I kind of feel bad for the people who are sitting... With her right now, she's so classy and such an icon, they probably have to watch every little move they make to make sure their manners are impeccable, whereas Greg Greg is probably just as big a slob as the rest of us. 
<laughs> Actually, Greg, as I recall, what you said was I'm probably an even bigger slob than you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that sounds in character. <laughs> but she will definitely be missed, and um, I hope... <laughs> Her legacy continues for many, many years to come. I can't imagine it wouldn't. Amazing human. I'm afraid we're out of time. This has been Nightwatch. Sleep well. Who made you? Victor. Bravo. It's a wise monster that knows its own father. Not only made you, he made a mess of you. Who are you? Who are you? My name is Legion, for we are many. I would guess there are four of you at least. Or could there be five? The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness. Superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Hello and welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner, the owner of the website that powers the program, spidey-dude.com. And I am the executive producer of the network that powers the program, the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Before we get started, though, I wanted to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash Network: Greg, Jurgen, Vinkman, Scott, Kaylee, and Phoenician. Thank you for your support. And if you want to get the show, this show earlier, check it out there, as well as other fine perks that you'll get whenever you become a Patreon subscriber. There will be some exclusive content that's only for Patreon subscribers coming to you very soon. But before I turn it over to our hosts, I want to encourage you to check out our other fine programs, such as Spidey Dude Experience, ASM Classics, Make Mine Mayday, Bogan Rider Variety Hour, the Salby Sima Era Podcast, Clone Saga Chronicles, and a spectacular radio, a spectacular Spider-Man related show that start a few familiar names to the program. Please follow the network on Twitter at Spidey Dude Radio and this show at From Erie, and feel free to send them feedback at gargoylesvoices at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast catcher, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, Amazon Audible as well as Google Podcasts. It helps us raise our visibility and like, share, and subscribe for more at Spidey Dude Network, youtube.com slash Spidey Dude Network. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as I mentioned the Twitter threads, but also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Spidey Dude Network, as well as Instagram, if you like Instagram, instagram.com slash Spidey Dude Network. With that out of the way, it's absolutely my pleasure to introduce the hosts of our show, Jennifer L. Anderson and Greg Bashansky. Welcome back, Argos fans. I'm your co-host, Greg Bashansky, and welcome to another episode of Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. And joining us is my co-host, 
Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello, everyone. What was that? <laughs> that was excitement from uh, one of our guests, I think. <laughs> crazy <laughs> from one of your fans. <laughs> and fans, and- what are those? <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us, as usual, is the co-creator, supervising producer, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hi. And we are very happy to welcome back to the show the voice director of Gargoyles, Jamie Thomason. Hello. Hey, Jamie. It's been a little while since we've spoken with you. How, how are you up? How have you been? How are you holding up? Doing all right. Doing all right. It's, I'm excited to be hearing uh, voices from Lake Erie. Or wait, what? What's it? Did I get that one? <laughs> so close. You're so close. No, this is awesome. And uh, I'm very sorry about last month. So we weren't going to mention that. What can I tell you? It happens. Today, boys. I cleared the text. <laughs> the record show. I was here five minutes early. Ready to go. <laughs> I was the late one go. today. Yeah, but you're here every time, so you were in it. Sorry. Right. Yeah, they're probably bored of me. But did you hear? No, you heard the cheer from your <laughs> Legion of fans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And anyway, I'm glad you're both you're here. Boring, I think, is one of them. We're, because we're, yeah, because we're going to discuss shortly an episode that is so '90s that I have chosen to wear a Nirvana T-shirt for this recording. You do smell like Teen Spirit. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a Gargoyles T-shirt in honor of this recording. An original nice. 1994 Gargoyles. T-shirt. Very oh, nice. vintage. Nice. In 20 years. <laughs> Uh, All right, before we actually get to the episode... No truth telling. (laughs) (laughs) All right, before we actually get to the episode itself, let's discuss the continuing transition into the second season. Jamie, if you remember, is casting recording for 52 episodes instead of 13? Was there a different approach you took to it at all? Uh, Yeah, get it done. Uh, It's actually awesome uh, having that kind of you know, volume. Um, the more time you spend together, the more, you know, characters develop, the more you discover. It was great. Season two. I mean, season one was absolutely awesome. Uh, season two was fantastic. Really cool. You know, we more than found the, our stride and got to do so much. Great cast, too several of which in this episode. Yeah. Speaking of, we had hoped to talk to you last week. I guess I am bringing that up. <laughs> anyway, obviously things didn't work out, but um, to follow up from last week, especially since he was such a big star, let's talk about casting Tim Curry as Dr. Severius. Uh, sure. Do you want to ask me a question? <laughs> Not, how, <laughs> how did that go about? What, what was it like having him in the booth? The man's a legend. <laughs> uh, Tim Curry is, is awesome, always awesome in the booth. Um, you know, we were uh, 
friends uh, by that point. Um, he's he is an amazing talent and an amazing man, and uh, and he sure was. Then, uh, I think my guess is the casting when you know Greg uh, has a photographic memory, so he can tell us exactly. But um, or my guess is uh, yes. He has copious notes. Um, put it this way. I, no one's going to accuse me of, you know, reinventing the wheel by having Tim Curry as, uh, you know, the, wait, he's the bad guy? He's the evil mad scientist guy? Come out of the box. Um, but, uh, Who would have thought? You know, Tim's fantastic. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a whole new direction. Wait, Alan Rickman is going to be your villain in that movie? Uh, shocking. Um so Tim, uh, what's needed, and you know, a little twist on Bucky's various is the um, is Tim's unique spin on the uh, accent. Um, but uh, it's just everything Tim says is is just interesting. <laughs> uh, he just has a way of wrapping his mouth around words and spitting out speeches. Uh, it, it's just. He's a joy to listen to. He's an absolute joy to direct. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just fantastic in everything he does. So, I, as I was starting to say, my guess is the casting discussion was something like, hey, we've got a evil mad scientist guy coming up. And, uh, you know, probably said something really intelligent like, how about Tim Curry had to have Tim We didn't put it this way. Uh, didn't do nearly as many auditions as we did looking for Goliath, for example. Uh, it was a more uh, succinct uh, casting process. Uh, we didn't do any auditions for the record. So uh, there's no real casting story there. But I'm happy to talk you about You just got to, to pick and choose the best and... Ask them to come in? Yes. But that's actually another... We really kind of season two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, even throughout the, um, we'll say, uh, extensive auditioning process prior to season one, um, you know, lots and lots and lots of actors uh, came in to read for all the characters and lots of agents were involved. Um, and even just in that audition process, the word was already starting to spread like, wow, this... It's really well written. Have you guys heard about this new Gargoyles thing? And then agents are getting calls saying, hey, how come you haven't brought me in for that Gargoyles thing? I hear it's really... And so then once you know we get into production, then the word's really spreading. And by the time we got to season two, uh, you know, the word was out, well out. Uh, this was a special show. It was an extraordinarily uh, well-written, uh, you know, really intelligent, uh, really fun Show. It's just a great show, great show for an actor. So uh, we didn't have to beg a lot of people. That said, it was really all me and my casting, uh, you know. Prep. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and, they were like, uh, Jamie Thomason? I've been dying to work with Jamie Thomason. And they lined up, right? He It, was, it wasn't a hard sell because even for those who hadn't heard of the show, if, uh, if the actor hadn't heard of the show, the agent certainly did. So, you know, 
we'd call and say, hey, how about, you know, CCH Pounder? And whether or not she had ever heard of the show, her agent, or sure, her same agent as Tim Curry, by the way, um, certainly did. And uh, so it was an easy sell for the agent, you know, in talking to their clients. And we, as a result, got some amazing cast. The number of, you know, Royal Shakespeare Company stars that uh, parade through this series is uh, fairly astounding. What was the episode, Greg, where we had, we had like three, three or four of, uh, it's like David Warner, who was the, the definitive uh, Hamlet in the 70s for the Royal Shakespeare Company. And then Roger Reese was the definitive Hamlet in the 80s. And then... There were three, three Hamlets. What's the other? Yeah, I can't, I can't remember, but, but it was, I mean, we, we just, uh, I mean, this, this episode that we're about to discuss is a perfect example. I mean, um, Jamie brings up Cece and, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the way casting worked after auditioning, um, all our season one regulars and with the exception of character of Angela, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we we again held auditions because she was a new, um, lead slash regular. Um, everything yeah, else was for the just most casting. So yeah, we auditioned so many hundreds. So generally what would that. happen is, is, you know, we'd be at the recording session because you know, Jamie, you were working on like 20 shows back then. Not just cars, but was a couple. Yeah, and I was busy producing the show with Frank. So the only time we really had to get together uh, tended to be um, after recording for the, you know, the previous episode or something like that. So we'd wind up, you know being at a recording session and going, well, what do we need for the next episode, which we're recording in a week or two weeks or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and I'm like, okay, well, this is the episode that's coming down the pike. You haven't seen it yet, but it's going to have, you know, we already cast Michael Dorn as Goliath's brother. And now we need Goliath's sister. So we need someone who can go toe to toe with both, Keith and Michael. Um, and that's not an easy. And a... <laughs> yeah, it's a short list. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so then, you know, CC comes up. And again, a lot of our casting sessions, it's not like I specifically remember this or anything because I, I don't. Um, but my guess, it's like I was saying for. Tim, it's like, I don't remember who brought Tim up first, probably Jamie, but every once in a while it'd be like, uh, you know, oh, we need something like this. And someone would say, well, what about Tim Curry or what about CCH Pounder? And like, yeah, you know, and then we'd get them. Yeah. That was the thing. I mean, that was the sort of stunning thing, which goes all the way back to casting Ed Asner, which is like, well, what do you want for Hudson? Well, you know, I want Ed Asner. Uh, yeah, I, I know we'll never get him, but something like that, you know, someone like that. And then, of course, we actually didn't get Ed. Not just yeah, didn't just get him. We, he came in in the red. 
He came in and read. Yeah, he read for Spec says, uh, you know, uh, Hudson hates Spunk. It's in the character spec, and he came in and read. Yeah. Oh, by the and, way, Dude Scottish. Before you leave. I, I said, and, oh, by the way, Ed, Dude Scottish now before you leave. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> I know we've told that story already, but it, it's still, even <laughs> for 25 us. plus years later, it still blows me away. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, and so that would be the thing. We'd be like, well, who do you want for this? And we'd be like, oh, well, what about David Warner to play the Archmage? Oh, yeah, that'd be good. And then we'd get him. I mean, Jamie would get him, but but it, I don't, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like it was like uh, one of these things where you're begging the agent to try, you know, it, it just was, hey, you got yeah. this gig. Get Gargoyles yeah. if David wanted, and they'd be like, oh, it's Gargoyles? Yeah, sure. Yeah, they've either already heard of it, um, or like I said, the, at least the agent knew about it. Um, and even if somehow uh, we thought of somebody who the agent didn't know anything about it, and they, you know the agent was in London or so, I, I don't know, um, we still, you know, just got to say, okay, here, here's the script. Go ahead, give us a look. Uh, you know, and so even if they'd never heard of it, they'd read the script and say, "Dang, stuff." It's the kind of thing. Yeah, Ed was the, one of the first people to talk about it. Ed talking about it, and um, uh, John Reese Davies. Uh, uh, as the Scottish King character, I don't know if we're allowed to say that, but um, <laughs> talking Macbeth. about uh, how oh, there you go, way to go. What was that? Is that the door? Oh, don't worry, it's just the actors. My uncle Baldrick was in a play once. Really? Yeah, it was called Macbeth. And what did he play? Second codpiece. <laughs> Best wore him in the fight scene. So he was a stunt codpiece. <laughs> Did he have a large part? Depends who was playing Macbeth. No, I don't think, Baldrick. Actors are very superstitious. On no account mention the word Macbeth this evening, all right? Why not? It brings them bad luck, and it makes them very unhappy. Oh, so you won't be mentioning it either? No. Well, not very often. <laughs> you should have knocked. Oh, <laughs> impertinent butler were loud enough to wake the hounds of hell. Lead on, Macduff. I shall. <laughs> Lest you continue in your quotation... And mention the name of the Scottish play. No, never fear, I shan't do that. <laughs> By the Scottish play, I assume you mean Macbeth. Huh? Ah! Oh, the cause, but to make amends. <laughs> what was that? We were exorcising evil spirits. Being but a mere butler, you will not know the great theatre tradition that one does never speak the name of the Scottish play. What, Macbeth? Ah! Take your office calls, but for me, come in. Ah! Oh, you mean you have to do that every time I say Macbeth? Ah! Ah! Then you please stop saying that. 
always call it the Scottish play. So you want me to say the Scottish play? Yeah. Rather than Macbeth. Yeah. Say, what is all this hullabaloo, all this shouting and screaming and yelling blue murder? Why, it's like that play we saw the other day. What was it called? Uh, Macbeth? <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, it was called Julius Caesar. Oh, yes, of course. Julius Caesar. Not Macbeth. <laughs> Anyway, the point is, the word was out. Um, I remember Ed and John Lee Davies talking about it, that it's the kind of, you know, it's the kind of rich material that, you know, as a working actor in Hollywood, you didn't get the opportunity to do a lot. Um, you know, uh, if you were want to go do some stage in not the Mark Taper form, uh, you know, you might get some some good uh, material but if you're here in Hollywood uh, there just wasn't a lot of stuff at this level of sophistication also people were happy and excited to do it awesome but mainly it was because of me and my cloud that's <laughs> <laughs> this level of sophistication that's the a great quote because it's like, yeah, like this episode with uh, cyborg zombie. <laughs> you don't get that level of sophistication just anywhere. <laughs> it's one of those comments that you can say about anything. Like, you know, you go see someone in a Broadway show when it's terrible and you go backstage and say, ah, oh, that was really something. Or you've done it again. <laughs> it's universally applicable. At All this right. level of sophistication, we just didn't get a lot of stuff like But CCH Pound, my point was, uh, I've been a fan of her since Baghdad Cafe and had been looking for something for her. And uh, as Greg mentioned, I was doing uh, probably eight different series and 14 different movies in different stages of production at uh, any given time. So there was a lot of production going on. So, you know, David Warner, for example, brought in to do another movie. He was a narrator in Winnie the Pooh. Um, and uh, so when, he, you know, when our stage came up here, it was easy to say, hey. And again, it was just the easiest sell. People were dying to do it. I mean, there were people that would come in and say, finally, you finally bring me in. Nice. Particularly people associated with the Star Trek franchise. <laughs> Xander Berkeley is also in this episode, and he's, I find him to be a very underrated voice actor because he's very good. I loved him as... Iago here, and I know he only gets one other episode later, and he only has one line, and then I loved him as Mysterio and Spectacular Spider-Man. The guy, there's just something... You're welcome. <laughs> he was just so smooth and deliciously evil in this episode in particular. Yeah, Xander's uh, just an excellent actor, period. Um, and he tended to get cast a lot um, as some kind of intelligent, either an evil, you know, bad guy, or at least the, like in the right stuff, he's the press uh, ref that everybody hates. Because you know, they all care about the real stuff and nobody cares about the press clippings. Uh, with Xander, it was his uh, manager agent. 
remember who uh, she'd been pitching him for a while uh, for a variety of, of uh, you know different projects we were working on. And so when Iago came up again, it's easy to say, hey, you know who's getting pitched a lot. And did did he read for his way back in the beginning, Greg? I don't even remember. I don't. Did he ever read for that? I mean. He might have. I mean, we saw so many people, uh, but um, I, I don't recall that. So I tend to think the answer is no. But I, I could be uh, just forgetting um, because you know. Yeah, I do. I'm ancient. <laughs> I'm sure I don't know what you mean. Um, but just because of anything, Xander might be an actor that I would, you know typically need to, he wasn't the star of a show at the time, you know, very successful working actor and a fantastic actor. But if anything, he might be an actor that I would have to sell. Hey, how about Xander Berkeley for this? He's that guy from that movie. Um, but I don't remember there being any arm twisting. So uh, Greg, did you already know him from something or did I show you a clip or I got, you know, I can't remember. I mean, I, I, I have to think that I knew Xander from something, but now the order of what I've seen and and right. <laughs> who I've worked the... with is all it's all mushed up in my head. But uh, yeah, like, remember that thing that happened last month? Oh, wait, no, that was in 1995. It's all kind of a blur. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he he was the foster father in Terminator Two. Duh. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, again, like the it, iconic role. I don't, I don't <laughs> yes, the iconic role. Yeah, and... I don't feel like uh, there were ever any big arguments. Like someone said, you know, use this. Yeah, someone said, what if we use this guy? And then actors. Right, and then it was like, no, no, no. You know, um, it was fairly smooth sailing. I mean, I, I know there were a couple roles where, um, without going into specifics where having gotten so many people from uh, Next Generation... Star Trek franchise, for example, yeah. Yeah, that we kind of wanted to get um, Patrick Stewart. And um, my memory is is that... uh, And this is not on Patrick, but his agent was asking for this, um, you know, paycheck that... A special uh, situation way above what we were paying everyone else. And the problem with that uh, was twofold. One, it's not necessarily fair to the people who come in week in and week out. But two, literally, we had, uh, as I recall, and Jamie, feel free to correct me, but I think we had a favored nation thing going on, which meant that anything we, whatever the top rate we paid somebody, everyone would jump up to that top rate. So it would blow well, up, yeah, no, really, not just really simple, one person, really but yeah. it was a scale show. Everybody got paid scale. That was it. There plus wasn't a discussion about scale plus ten. Ten percent for the age. But there wasn't uh, a dis- yeah. The buyout was actually awesome back then. But there wasn't a discussion about rate. It was like here's what it is, and the only discussion is you know do they want to do it. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had the pleasure of working with Patrick uh, multiple times on several different movies, and he's fantastic. Uh, but my my guess is that I'm not going to quote an agent, but you know, 
I wouldn't be surprised if somebody said something along the lines of he doesn't wake up for less than a hundred grand or something like that. Um, he uh, paid very, very well to uh, do voiceover and uh, God bless him. Well deserved. Good for him. But he was uh, one of the very few Star Trek franchise folks that uh, we were not able to get in. And I, I remember having some discussion of going, oh, well, why don't we just ask, you know, Jonathan and Marina to, like, let's do an end run around this agent. And then we made the conscious decision that that was just sort of unfair, you know, to ask that of Jonathan and, or Marina or both. And, and, uh, and again, it wasn't like we weren't getting good people. So it wasn't like, oh, we're, uh, desperate here. It, it felt more like, well, yeah, that would have been cool, but um, we're good and we're getting good people. And, um, uh, and you know, again, for the most part, John and Marina were talking up the show over in, at the Paramount lot and saying mm-hmm. the people like Michael Dorn and Brent Spiner and LeVar Burton, etc. you know, well, it's a good gig. The scripts are good. And hey, no makeup. Um, you know, uh, Michael Jordan which, uh, in Star Trek was a big issue for a lot of those actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No four hours of makeup. And yeah, so instead, uh, only Jamie had to wear makeup for our recordings. <laughs> I, I am right now. Well, and you know, was he doing it all the way back in, then? <laughs> hours and hair. In with the hairdresser too. You don't you don't become a white Al Sharpton in, in just you know yeah, just by rolling it. exactly <laughs> this this as I mentioned just to my face this doesn't just happen this takes work um, it's, it's um, art it's art <laughs> all right okay moving on okay time to I, wrangle this thing i Go miss on. the i love working with these guys and i really miss them so much i love talking to them you guys. <laughs> someone They're has to so do fun. a little bit of directing here okay <laughs> no it sounds fun i would have, i would love to be in the booth one day with them <laughs> and anyway um so the names Othello, Desdemona, and Iago, I mean, obviously I understand the Shakespearean reference. I think most of our listeners do. But um, why did you choose those names specifically? And um, I remember I was confused. I first learned about those names associated with them with the trading cards that were coming out because they needed names for those characters. Uh, well, the names Iago and Desdemona appear in the credits because we didn't know what else to call them. Uh, the main reason was, I mean, again, I'm a Shakespeare fanatic and, and I think the writers and story editors, you know, figured this out. And so they would pander to me, (laughs) sort of like, Oh, let's do something Shakespearean and, and Greg will let it through. Um, because I was, supervising story editor in essence that wasn't my title but as producer that's sort of what i was doing uh particularly in season two when we had four separate story editing teams um you know someone had to sit at you know at the top and make sure that it was all um working together and not going off and becoming four separate television series um so a showrunner with frank 
Um, that was kind of my job on the script side, just as Frank had three directing teams and it was his job on the, on the art side. But, uh, so my, my recollection is, is that, um, Bob Skur and Marty Eisenberg, who wrote this episode, um, for, uh, Michael Reeves, a story editor, turned in, uh, an outline that was reminiscent of the Othello, uh, Desdemona, Iago situation, although making it more clearly a sort of, uh, with Goliath in essence in the Cassio role, if you're familiar with the play Othello. Yeah. Um, and, but making it more explicit that Iago, uh, was into Desdemona and that the reason he, you know, it's famously sort of a mystery as to why, you know, or, or subject to interpretation as to why in Shakespeare's play, Iago is doing all this horrible stuff to Desdemona and Cassio and, um, Othello, but it's a little more explicit in Gargoyles that he's doing it because he's got a thing for Desdemona. Um, and so that was all good. Uh, my note, as I recall, although again, it's been a long time and I haven't like looked up my old notes or anything like that. But as I recall, my note were to make it, I mean, if we're going to sort of hint at it, let's just do it. Um, and then from a scripting standpoint, you know, you need names in a script. Humans need names, right? So, we needed names in the script so that the board artists would know what, what character we were referring to. And the Othello character obviously is Coldstone. So you just refer to him as Coldstone and the, um, and the Cassio character is Goliath. So you just refer to him as Goliath, but gargoyles have no name. So there wouldn't be a name for Desdemona or Iago. And, uh, that being the case, I'm like, okay. And this, I always had to explain this. I'm like, we're going to call her Desdemona. We're going to call him Iago, but not in dialogue. Don't ever use these names in dialogue, <laughs> but in the script. <laughs> and then I would get things backwards, like the gargoyle that we're labeling Desdemona. I'm like, you don't have to do that. Just call her Desdemona <laughs> in the script. Artist, but don't use the name in dialogue because it's not her name. It's just what we're referring to. Her. It's like, you know, I said, it's like if you had, you know, uh, Parking lot attendant number one and parking lot attendant number say, two. You wouldn't actually use those three hundred and seventy eight. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't actually use those names in dialogue. It's not like it's like, hey, parking lot attendant number two, how's the wife? You know, you don't do that. Um, but for some reason, this took tremendous amounts of my time. I don't mean specifically with Marty and Bob because I don't even think I ever met with Marty and Bob. But it was always like this discussion to like, okay, how do we do that? I'm like, it's not hard. Just refer to them by the <laughs> name in the script, but don't ever use the names in dialogue. <laughs> okay, because their names are a secret? No, they're not real. They're not really real. Anyway, you get the idea. Um, yeah. but, hey, so... Hey, sometimes I run into fans who think she's called Desdemona because of some weird connection with Demona, and I find myself correcting them on that one. But well, you say that, but the truth is, is that it's not like that was lost on you know. Uh, hey, the word right. Demona is in Desdemona. I mean, <laughs> what it meant to me back in the day, as 
geeky as this sounds is that we'd run into something like that and go, this is the right path to take. You know, in other words, calling her Desdemona, even though that name is never used in dialogue, it is used in the credits because, again, you had to list CCH Pounders playing somebody. So what are you going to say? Uh, female gargoyle, who's the sister of Goliath the one, and the maid the one that we're fighting with. Um, so, and same with Iago. You know, we use those two names in the credits for lack of anything better, but they were never actual names of the characters. But the thing was, when you say like, okay, uh, for our purposes, we're going to call her Desdemona, and the name Demona is inside Desdemona. It's like, okay, yeah, we are tapping into the Gargoyles universe. You know, in the old, you know, sense of uh, the truth is out there. You know what I mean? And that's what a lot of what Gargoyles was like, was just the sense that stories were out there, like Michelangelo looking at a block of marble and going, ah, yes, I see the statue inside, you know. Uh, and all I but have to do show is... Mr. Way Weiss just compared himself to Michelangelo. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't... I wasn't comparing to production <laughs> to Michelangelo. No, thank you, but... Um, but... Uh, and what I was about to say is it's a lot of work to get to the statue inside, but, but every once in a while you just feel like, okay, this is right. You know, this is what... This is the correct answer. Uh, you know, when we get a little further down, the biggest example of this is Puck, uh, when we get to um, that episode. But, uh, so but this felt like another one where it's like, oh, yeah, this just feels right. Now, the flip side of that, <laughs> um, in this episode, you know, we reveal that Cold Stone was created not just from the stone remains of um, Goliath's brother, um, but from the stone remains of three different gargoyles. And that was, and that was always uh, meant to be that way, right? It was always meant to be that way, but visually there's nothing about cold stone that looks like he's built out of three different, right? Um, three different gargoyles. And the idea was that we're all, he was always supposed to have four elements to his visual, from Othello, Iago, Desdemona, and then the cybernetics, which came from Xanathos. And, and so we bring that to life in this um, episode, which unfortunately has not horrible animation, but some of our more mediocre animation in this episode. Um, Some facial expressions. I mean, it has moments that are nice, but it's also got moments where you're like, (laughs) But uh, the problem, of course, was always with the original Cold Stone model that when we were doing it for season one, we just ran out of time. I mean, we got a design and it was close enough. And I'm saying to Frank, this isn't what we need. We need to we need this thing to look like more of a mishmash of all these different gargoyles. And there just wasn't time to send it back yet again because we were having trouble getting that idea. That was, again, season one, all the design work was being done in Japan by really talented people. But communication was far from instantaneous. We were literally communicating 
by fax machine. Um, and I'm some of your readers won't even know what a uh, readers listeners won't even know what a fax machine is. <laughs> and and then with the time difference, what it meant is that any back and forth communication took days. You know, just to for us to communicate, if they sent us a design and we responded immediately, they wouldn't see it for a day. And then they couldn't respond to us for another day because we, our time zones were so at odds. And because the only means of communication was fax. Um, and so they're just, you know, they would, and plus things would have to get translated. So we'd send our notes, they'd translate our notes, they'd send us another version of it, but somehow or other what we were specifically asking for was lost in the translation. They didn't quite get it. And the truth is what we really needed to have done for episode 13 of season one was to design Othello, Iago, and Desdemona and then design Coldstone. But there just wasn't time for that. To design Mm -hmm. two characters that don't even appear in the episode when we weren't even sure we were getting a pickup to season two. Um, There was just no way we could justify asking them to design two characters that otherwise wasn't, weren't going to exist. Um, and that's, but you know, if we were really doing it right, that's what we should have done. We should have designed those three characters then taken pieces from each, um, and used them in the design of cold stuff. But instead we kind of tried to retrofit it. And I feel like the episode kind of pulls it off at least, you know, we're telling you this is the case, so it's not ideal because um, you'd rather be able to see it, or at least when you're told, you'd rather be able to look at the design of Cold Stone and go, oh, yeah, I see it. Instead, you're like, oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah, I've and heard, that's a bit of a bummer to me. Yeah, I've heard some confusion about Cold Stone's design. There are people who think he's metal and flesh and are a little bit surprised to hear that you meant for him to be metal and animated stone. Yeah. And that also just never was clear enough color wise or whatever, um, that it should have looked more like stone and metal. It should have looked like three different gargoyles, not one. The, the design for cold stone in a vacuum is extremely cool. But it's the one example, or at least the the one example that really comes to mind for me in the series, where the design doesn't tell the story, Um, at least not um, sufficiently to my mind. Uh, Not as overtly as you might like, but I have to say, uh, speaking from a plebeian's perspective, uh, artistically, it does not get in the way of the storytelling to me, and... As far as not understanding that he's made of stone, Simona literally has a line where she literally says, you are made of stone. Right? Your cold stone stone brought to life. Brought to life, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, I think it all works well enough. You know, the idea gets across. But you have to explain it. It's, It's not... It's not clear from the design. And even when you do explain it, then the audience just has to go, okay, uh, so I guess there's three gargoyles there. 
I don't see which pieces belong to the other two, but sure. But again, <laughs> we also tell them, we tell them that you made from, uh, you know, or is it Xanatos that says that? Yeah, we tell it. I just wish you saw it. Well, I think uh, I would say let the audience reach up instead of, you know, pandering down yeah. to them. Let them <laughs> they know what it is, told what it is, and let them look at it and say, oh, interesting, yeah. I can see those subtleties in there. I love how uh, we're now in the position where Jamie is defending the show and I'm attacking. <laughs> 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 hey, I can talk about my brother like that, but you can't. And I hear, you know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, only I can talk to you. He made a mistake. Um, and I just don't think it's a mistake. No, and the truth is, is that, you know, people bitch at me on Ask Greg or something like that about Cold Stone. My attitude is more like Jamie's, which is sort of like, all right, look, we gave you what we could. Sorry, you know. And otherwise, you get it. Quit pretending you don't get it. You get it. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> that hair is a wig. So You've said that once. <laughs> everything, everything is context, you know. Out of curiosity, have you ever quantified, like, how many character designs did you do in season one, for example? Because it's more than oh, God. 13, I know. Uh, yeah. A lot. A little more than 13. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, the number is... It's got to be number for the first two seasons is just a mess. You know, we uh, put Goliath at the center of an ensemble cast and then we just kept growing that ensemble cast. Um, and it's a fantastic and, ensemble cast of characters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, villains, uh, side characters, Every everyone ended up, at least to some extent, having a story. Um, from Brendan and Margot to the jogger to, you know, the two Brendan kids. The Margot. Brandon the, and Margo the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it just kept growing and growing and growing, and we just kept expanding the cast. And, um, uh, and you know, this is a great example. We, we have all our regulars, nearly all of them in here. Um, and then on top of it, we throw in uh, two gargoyles, who in theory were there from day one, but you'd never actually seen them before. <laughs> I, th- I thought that they were they were blended in quite seamlessly, like you, you made it work. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and they're great designs, too. That's right. And and they're great designs, yeah, too. The designs are great. Yeah. For one thing, one I, really, I really do like the design. Um, um, I think Desdemona's design is particularly cool. Um, oh, she was always a favorite of mine. I absolutely loved the wings that she had. It was so awesome. Also great to finally yeah, have another I female think. gargoyle on the show. Yeah. Um, and how about Michael Dorn playing Michael Dorn as yeah. Coldstone? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Michael like, Dorn as Othello inside Coldstone. Michael Dorn as a Xanatos programmed Coldstone. Michael Dorn doing CCH Pounder inside Coldstone. Michael Dorn doing Xander Berkeley as Iago inside Coldstone. You I mean, knew exactly Dorn who, did. what personality was talking. He did such a great job. 
You're welcome. And it's that's really in any speech that. It was like uh, you know, the old Faye Dunaway in Chinatown my sister, my daughter, my mom. Uh, you know, in one speech, yeah. <laughs> he's going back and forth. Hey, how you doing? I hate you. I'm not sure what to do. I'll kill you. Hey, let's get some of it. He was great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was the idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, my idea for Coldstone from day one was inspired, and I may have mentioned this before, but uh, inspired by this uh, movie version, this TV movie version of Frankenstein that I'd seen as a kid with, um, I want to say with Michael Saracen. Um, oh, not yeah. 100% sure that's right. But uh, there's this great scene in it that really, just as a kid, blew me away, which was the idea, because you all know that that uh, Frankenstein gathered parts from all these different corpses to make the monster, right? So there's this scene where the monster is hypnotized. <laughs> there's a scene where the monster is hypnotized. Um, and it begins to speak with all the different voices of all the various body parts, like the souls of all these um, people who were brought back, you know, to life as this single monster um, are all present inside. And, and that's where the title comes from, which is uh, Legion, because he quotes that, line from the Bible in this Frankenstein movie, uh, you know, I am legion, I contain multitudes or something like that. I, I can't remember the mm-hmm. exact line, but it had, it had this huge imp- impact on me as a kid. So the idea was this, um, from day one with Coldstone was, yeah, we're going to find out this is, you know, and it's not just Xanatos' line in episode 13 where he goes, it's alive, it's alive, which seemed like a Frankenstein reference. Well, it was, of course, but um, but the character was really supposed to be a Frankenstein monster substitute. And so I wanted to get that idea of all these souls trapped in this one body. And then it was like this discussion because you – you always have this thing, like there's an episode of Tailspin where Baloo and Kit, Cloud Kicker, trade uh, bodies, right? And to make that clear to the younger audience, you get Baloo's voice coming out of Kit's mouth and Kit's voice coming out of Baloo's mouth, right? Um, and yet somehow none of the other characters notice that the wrong voice is coming out. Oh, I remember that one. Rebecca's voice was coming out of Don Carnage. Yeah. Okay. So there was some question at the beginning of this. It's like, okay, well, who's going to be talking? I mean, literally who's good. Are we going to have, and, and this discussion happened before casting. So, but are we going to have Desdemona's voice coming out of, Coldstone's mouth when her brain is in control. I'm like, no, the voice box hasn't changed. Just which soul is controlling the body? The voice box is the same, so it's always going to be Michael Dorn. And goddamn, but didn't Michael just do an amazing <laughs> job? <laughs> mm-hmm. Really did. Um, 
And I'm trying to remember, Jamie, did we ask like CeCe to read the line and then have him do it, or did he just do it? I can't remember. Yeah, no, I didn't think we had the other actors you know, demonstrate. Here's how I would say that, right? Uh, particularly because half of Lorraine's work, you know, not half of them, but fractions of Lorraine's, like you one sentence. Well, and then the idea was that, yeah, you'd start off with full sequences where one person was in control or another person was in control. And then the idea was that the switching would start happening more and more rapidly. Mm -hmm. And so by the end, it's switching like every two or three words. Um, But that it would ramp up to that. And then finally, he'd be just on the floor going, just give me silence. It's awesome. It's really effectively done because you don't see it at first. You don't see it coming. And then something seems off. And then it slowly seems a little more off. And then it's, you know. And then it's really off. So I apologize, guys. I know we got a late start, but I've got to actually run. So um, you guys can keep going if you have time, but I've got to. I lost track of time here, and I know we started late, but... All right, before you go, Greg, is there, any, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, Young Justice Targets. Uh, I don't know when this episode is August 12th. Dropping, but, okay, so by then, uh, some version of the first three issues will be out, I would think. Uh, issues one and... Uh, will be fully out. You can buy it in print at comic book shops or on Comixology or on uh, DC Universe Infinite um, electronically. Uh, issue two came out today on uh, Comixology. I'm sorry, on DC Universe Infinite. And uh, um, I would think that by the time this episode drops, Issue three will also be out uh, as well, but I'm not 100 percent sure. But in any event, buy D, uh, buy but, Young Justice Targets. Uh, we want to save Earth 16. We do. Oh, do it right now. Also, there's a, for Gargoyles fans. There's a nice Easter egg in issue two. I can't comment on that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Talk have a good night. Soon. Love you all. Right. all. Take care. Love you, love you too, Greg. <laughs> Bye, okay. Um. Well. So I have to say it's going to be a little bit tough to get into it without him. Well, we can do our best. Um, this a lot. This show mostly well, has a timeless we, now feel. We talk about it. Now we can <laughs> really get into it. <laughs> I have to say, and this show normally has a very timeless quality to it. Besides being set in the '90s, with the exception of maybe this episode, <laughs> because this episode is so completely '90s with. Uh, Virtual reality, the next best thing to be in there. Remember when that was a thing? Well, when it was a new thing, virtual reality. What's that new thing? I mean, I know it's new to. Well, and and life. you know, like looking at looking at the the animation and stuff, still like the way the you know the vortex is kind of consuming the castle and stuff like that. I I really feel like it's it's a media kind of. You know, back then it was new and shiny, but it's like something that we see a lot of still when uh, shows are talking about virtual reality or, you know, alternate universes and stuff like that. So 
like I don't think like I know Greg is uh, is is like this is really did not age well, but I'm I think it it still holds up. I think it looks great. Uh, no, it does, uh, but though undeniably there's uh, some references, visual references uh, that were of their time. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Phones and that sort of thing, but um, but uh, no, in general, it's great. I, the I think what Greg was talking about was there were some. I mean, I'm taking up a different comment, but there were some facial expressions uh, where you know, like at least looks beautiful, then she turns her head and like, oh, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an oh, that's unfortunate. Oh. <laughs> A shapeshifter, kind of. Um, but uh, I think it's a, a great episode. And, you know, Michael Dorn's a, a tour de force. I started to say before, it's funny because Michael was cast as, uh, you know, someone like Keith, you know, but made of stone more. And Michael. Coldstone was not cast to be a facile character. He was mm-hmm. cast as a very it's made of stone. That's it. There's not a lot of and then he does this episode. And again, he's you know, Faye Dunway, he's all over the place. And he was great. Yeah. He killed it. This show is just blessed with amazing voice actors. Mm-hmm. It is true. And uh and they bring it too. Great performances in here. <laughs> Golden Cup just amuses me because we all grew up with Highlander, the big final fight at Silver Cup Studios. That's not really a question, just a comment. I love seeing that, and I've always won. And then when we see the inside, I wish Greg were here to elaborate on that. We'll talk to him about that next time we see Golden Cup because it pops up a few times throughout the series. But Like a, like a Holy Grail reference? Yeah, I was wondering, especially considering what we learned about that later in the canon. And um, I guess for fans out there who are listening, maybe you can ponder this this as well and let us know what you think. Do you think do we think that that may have some Illuminati influence there? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On Greg's behalf, I'm going to say absolutely. He had that planned from before the first script was ever written. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you got he his did. back. Everything was planned. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, guys, I'm gonna have to cut it close too because I've got a sick roommate. So uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> well. Best well. Best wishes so to your roommate. Sorry. Best wishes to your roommate. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, and I will wrap things up shortly. Then. <laughs> All right, you guys stay out of trouble. We'll try. <laughs> she says she says expecting you definitely not to stay out of trouble. <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone. All right. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Be happy. Bye. All right. Bye. I wasn't saying before that it doesn't hold up. I just think it's a little bit more dated than other episodes are, but it's still really good. There's not a single bad episode of Gargoyles. Even, even the worst episode of the series, at least in the first two seasons, is... That was pretty good, which is a track record most shows can only dream of of getting. Yeah, but and there re- is, like you said, a timeless quality about uh, the the stories. You know, the the richness of them, and the all, again all the Shakespearean ties and everything. All that helps with the timelessness. I mean, they tried to be really careful about 
contemporary cultural references, but, uh, you know, flat screen TVs and cell phones can really use so much imagination. Yeah. Let's not make this look too dated, you know, 20 years from now. Good luck. And while uh, we're here, I suppose we can talk about other actors you cast for upcoming episodes in the short term. I mean, later on we get Brent Spiner. I'm sure we're going to talk about that with Greg. And then we get uh, Darren McGavin. There you go. There you go. And Greg was a huge uh, fan, a nice soccer fan, Um, uh, which uh, you guys can, the listeners can ask your grandparents about the nice soccer television show back in the 70s. And he was fantastic. Um, but he's another uh, actor with just an amazing career. Uh, probably more of your audience might know him from The Natural, maybe, but even that was from, I guess that was the 90s, 80s. Anyway, fantastic actor, great old school guy. I remember we had talked about um, Darren and Carl Malden, Wait, not for, at the time of that episode, but in the early days, those were a couple of the actors that we talked about wanting to, to try to use at some point. And uh, Greg got his Darren again. He's awesome. And he was great. It was only a one-episode oh, role, but it was... Story. Go on. I'm sorry, Christmas Story. That's how everyone's going to know him, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Wasn't he the old man? He's the, I mean, he's the dad. It's yeah, a, the old man. <laughs> important prize! It's a, it's a... And then after that, you bring on the late, great... W. Morgan Shepard, who, as Petro Santos, Santos's father, who I thought was terrific, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a huge fan of his son, Mark Shepard, because that's a very talented family altogether. <laughs> I, I, I uh, you know, use Morgan so many times, he's such a boy, so many times in so many different projects, and people start talking about his son, and I'm like, oh, he has a kid? Like, I didn't, I didn't even, I knew Morgan really well. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, it's funny to hear people coming out of the direction. <laughs> hey, that's his dad. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. This, his son is a, a big character actor who's on a lot of TV shows, most notably Crowley from Supernatural. I know that now. I know that now. I'm saying <laughs> when he started, you know, becoming a thing, and uh, people that probably was with Supernatural, um, and people started saying, "Oh, wait." When I would hire Morgan, people would say, oh, wait, that's his dad. That's and they thought, wait, what? Morgan has a kid? I didn't even... Uh, <laughs> I did, yes, like you said, very talented family. And he was Morgan was a... an amazing... Yeah. And he was such a great foil to Jonathan Frakes as his... Uh, as Anatos' father, right? Which um, I'm looking forward to discussing that episode in depth when we get to that, but... Did it was such a fantastic job with the awesome. there. Yeah. Well, again, uh, Morgan's someone that, uh, you know, used a lot. It wasn't like, let's try to get, uh, you know, he, uh, Morgan. Yeah, I know Morgan Shepard has done a lot of Star Trek. Thing on Commander kind of stuff. He just, he had such an amazing, I I can't do it. Yeah. He had this great, just the gravel texture with his, you know, polished grit. He was fantastic. Narrators for bad guys were just an awesome voice. Like Tony J. Tony J. was in that category. The late great Tony J. What a fantastic voice actor as well. He was one. He was one of my favorites growing up. Yeah, and I would say he's a fantastic actor. I've heard a lot of voice yeah. acting. 
I've heard a lot of stories about the voice industry at t- at times how um SAG changed the rules at one point. Apparently, there's a famous story that because of Wally of the late great Wally Burr, who was a great voice director in the '80s, Transformers, GI Joe, etc., among other shows. But because of him, apparently, they changed. It was SAG who got involved and changed the rules that only that sessions cannot go beyond four hours. I've heard the story at conventions. Yeah, it was uh, limiting a session to four hours, and um, you could do two voices for the same price, and the third voice was an extra 10% bump. And if you want to do a fourth voice, it's another thing. Because, you know, these guys were being brought in and, you know, doing... Started with Mel, you know, but doing 10, 15 voices in the same episode, getting paid once. Um, So, yeah, they... uh, Adjusted, corrected that in the SAG uh, strike. I don't know what year, 80s, late 80s maybe. But a uh, long time overdue at the time. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You know these. Yeah, these are they're just fantastic actors. I remember the very first day, the very first day in animation. Uh, I was at a Hanna Barbera uh, Smurfs session, and uh, Jonathan. Winters uh, was chatting with me and he said, in that room, pointing at the studio, in that room right now, pound for pound, greatest character actor, more talent in that little booth right now than any stage in Hollywood. And uh, and he's right. Uh, these guys, uh, you know, especially in a show like Gargoyles, to the multiple voices, Something you know, it's really legit acting, um, and then you know, obviously, you know, the other animation too, and comedy and stuff. But it's just, it's amazing what these guys do. And you've worked with you've worked with a lot of talent over the years. I was looking at the other some of the other shows you've always directed over over time, especially at Disney. I mean, James Woods, Wayne Knight, a lot of a lot of really yeah, fantastic well, those guys are Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, James uh, was Hades in um, the Hercules series, which uh, I've been told is noted as uh, the largest single season cast, something like that. It's like over 120 celebrity guest stars, because um, that was sort of the thing. In each episode, whatever Greek god came in, like this the Greek god of whatever, oh, let's get... Rita McIntyre to do that. <laughs> a lot of sitcom actors. It was Jennifer Aniston. Say again? That's a lot of sitcom actors in that one. Yeah, well, a lot of sitcom actors all over the place, but yeah. Uh, in that one, Tate Donovan uh, was Hercules, and he was dating Jennifer Aniston at the time. So pretty much the whole cast of Friends came in, but you know, also like uh, uh, John Favreau uh, and... Um, Bond and John Favreau. Um, uh, it was really—it was just a parade. I remember uh, we had a big final season ensemble uh, where they did uh, a huge um, press thing, and you know there were like twenty actors in the episode. It was huge arc in a great big studio, and. And just looking around, uh, you know, there were like, you know, four Oscar winners or nominees. And uh, it was just this 
it was a crazy, <laughs> crazy uh, kind of uh, Mount Rushmore parade of celebrity faces. And uh, whew, back in the days when we would do ensembles with 15, 16, 18 actors, don't do that much anymore. Nice. Well, there were. Okay. Those were all great casts. You have you have a gift for bringing them together. I know I've been I've been saying this on most of the shows that we've recorded together, but I just love the work that you've done. I mean, people like you, people like Andrea Romano, people like Sue Blue, Jamie Simone, you're all unsung heroes in this uh, industry, which is a shame because you should be sung. So that's one of the reasons why I'm glad that we keep bringing you on so that we can spread the word and spread awareness of what you do. And um, before we uh, do finish... I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and before we do finish up, I was thinking, in terms of talking about Greg while he's not here, and a tie back with the beginning, I heard a story once about Greg having to stand in for an unavailable Tim Curry. No, a Tim Curry, uh, his role in Injustice um, was not as uh, overtly evil as a lot of the guys he did. He was a a blowhard uh, TV guy. Um, sensational sort of in- infotainment, you know, pseudo-journalism kind of guy. Um, so, uh, yeah, big blowhard pundit. Get me Greg Waxman. <laughs> he, was, he was great. He was great. Uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, whatever, someone like Greg might have to scratch in the dialogue for whatever, female Laura's son, Giacomo, or something. Um, can't get uh, someone in and then you animate two of them, they got to come back and replace it in ADR. But uh, Greg is also, I mean, has done some legit characters where he wasn't just standing in, where he's, you know, the actual character in a few, two different series. Mm-hmm. He's good. That was a stuff. There was a time when Greg, uh, for example, was uh, he was reading in for Tim Curry, and Tim has this way I mentioned earlier of of really um, rolling the words around and um, no, I think not. Uh, I can't do it. I'm terrible. And is that out? But the point is, he he can. You know, he has a very, he has a particular kind of speech pattern, depending on the character that he's doing. Um, and uh, Greg is a little um, tighter in his speech. So uh, Greg's natural read on something might be, you know, whatever. So then I said, and stay out. But Tim would be doing it, uh, you know, probably... It would probably take tw- uh, twice as long. So Greg might do a line in three seconds that, you know, for Tim, it might take six seconds. So uh, since it was going to be animated, you know, Tim was going to have to do that, match that timing. Yeah. Uh, we had to ask Greg to, uh, to ease off the throttle. Say it slower. Then do another one. Okay, now slow it down even more. And now, really, I think at one point I might have said, pretend you're moving in slow motion. And (laughs) to him, that's what it felt like. It's like very awkward, sort of, I'm speaking slowly. But, 
I would love to be able to find that line and have you play it so you can hear. Because when Tim does it, that's the pace that Tim speaks. So Tim replaces it in ADR after it's animated, and it sounds fantastic. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'm not saying I enjoyed making Greg do it again and again, slower and slower. But I'm not not saying that. (laughs) That is awesome. And... And, uh, Jamie, I do want to thank you for coming on. Are there any projects you want to plug? I'm working on 12 different movies. Go see them all when they come out. Gladly. (laughs) So I want to thank our listeners for listening to the show. Please join us next time when we discuss the episode, A Lighthouse in the Sea of Time. your head I will not fight you my leader I I will destroy you for all I have left you are a fool help me brother no leave me alone all of you get out of my head Zyla